What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. In this episode, I'm joined by a friend, a visionary and a legend in the realm of content and search engine optimization. It's Joost de Falk. About a decade and a half ago, Joost started a little tool to optimize websites for search engines. Together with his lovely wife, Marika, and their incredible team, they scaled it to over 13 million users, made it a commercially successful business while giving back so much to the open source ecosystems that they're a part of. Since we last spoke, he and Marika sold the Yoast company to Newfold Digital. And today, Marika and Yoast are angel investors. Full disclosure, since 2020, they're investors in Wordproof 2 while running their beautiful family of four. Yoast and I share a deep passion for building a better web. And as always, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Yoast, thank you so much for coming to the Trusted Web podcast. Yeah, well, as always, I'm very happy to talk to you, of course, and uh, these topics are very close to my heart. So thank you for having me. Uh, looking forward to the conversation you've done over the last decade. You've done countless keynotes, podcasts, media interviews, mainly on the topic of search engine optimization. One-on-one, -on -one, we had many conversations on AI as well. So yeah, the idea was born to do a podcast on AI and how the two topics impact each other. Well, it, I, I, I will say that it's also become a bit more prevalent in the last few months. I, the, the recent things that have happened in AI uh, have a deep impact on search, of course. That would be my opening question then. What is the state of search today? What is the state of AI today? Will the question uh, following up and how will those two worlds impact each other? Of course, we've seen OpenAI release ChatGPT and that caused a whole lot of buzz. Um, everywhere, but also inside Google. Uh, I've had friends at Google that I was talking to tell me like, yeah, we were actually surprised by that. It was sooner than we expected. We're, we weren't ready, etc. So um, Google got caught by surprise, which is a new thing. And then Bing quite quickly, quickly um, actually added Bing chat. So they added chat GPT into Bing. And I think that that's actually the most awesome way of using ChatGPT right now because it uses the newest models and it actually gives references to the open web uh, when in, in its responses. ChatGPT doesn't source its content. So it, it has a lot of content, of course, that it bases its, its answers on, but it never tells you where it gets those answers from. And, and Bing Chat actually does do that which I think is awesome. And it's also showing us a new type of interface. It's a new way of searching, which is way more chat-based, which in a way is actually for the first time, really the type of digital assistant that these search engines have been claiming to have for, for years now. For now, finally, they can they can answer a question and then you can follow up and it's actually a real conversation and it uses the context of your previous questions to answer the, the follow-up questions. So it really becomes a, a truly a conversation. And I think with that, it, it is a truly interesting new approach to search and will have a very deep impact on search. 
Microsoft wished to do conversational, uh, to do conversation science, they introduced Clippy in the <laughs> word, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It's in many ways, I think Bing Chat is Clippy on steroids, um, but it, it's so powerful. It also still has its risks, right? And I, I think we'll touch on those a bit today um, because not everything that it outputs is true, which is always something that these search engines have uh, have prided themselves on that they were giving you the best answers on the web. And suddenly some of the answers that it gives are not true. They're in fact completely hallucinated as we call them. And I think that that is one of the things that we need to teach everyone about AI and about especially these large language models that we're that we're now really making like one thing together with AI. They're really just a part of a of the larger field of AI. But what everyone's seeing now is is basically large language models at work, and it's good to understand what these things do. Um, they really predict what would be the logical thing to say as an answer to the question that you're giving, but it doesn't necessarily have to be truthful. So they really are generating the the almost perfect socially access, uh, acceptable response to your type of question. So they're the, the best bar buddies you'll ever have, but that doesn't mean just like in the pub that the answer has to be true. And, and I think that's a risk. Is that... Is trust not part of the design of the models? Is that no? So as manifest as that, it it is as simple as it's really when it's generating text. It's really generating text. It's not uh, bringing up truths from somewhere and generating a text around that. So it will generate facts that are not facts but it will tell them to you with a style and a vigor as though it's fully true. Um, but it's not, it wasn't intended when it was initially built to be a thing that, that generated truths. And, and that's where, where the trust becomes an issue. And we, and I think we'll have to uh, figure out as society, but also these search engines themselves, how they can fix that and whether we are okay with having search engines answer like that. I honestly myself think that we should be regulating that a whole lot more than we are. Uh, and it will, that we, we have a right to know what they trained those large language models on um, and what we can expect those large language models to to give in, in in return as answers as a result of that. Because a large language model outputs what it, it has been trained on. So if you put garbage into it, you get garbage out of it. And a lot of what it's been trained on is the web at large. And honestly, the web at Arguably. large <laughs> is quite garbage. So um, so the output of, of these models is by no means inclusive is by no means um well true and i think that that is something that we have to well start uh start compromising and and start figuring figuring out like what can we do with these things and what can we not do yeah so that about the state of ai um state of search a bit um and then 
ChatGPT is the fastest adopted technology in history, 100 million users in less than, what was it, two months? Um, yeah. The day before we started using ChatGPT as society, or using is not the right word, but started playing with. Um, what was the state of search the day before we started playing with ChatGPT? In many ways, search has not changed all that much in the last decade. Um, search engines have been focusing on uh, who or which results can we surface? What what is good content? What uh, who do we trust? Google has called this EAT, and they've recently added another E, so it's experience, um, expertise, authority, and trust. And um, these four are the things that they train their uh, their quality raters on, who they use to train their own machine learning models. So they train their their quality raters to to look for signs of expertise and authority, etc. That was already important before AI suddenly became so incredibly prevalent. I think it'll be even more important uh, after that because suddenly we will we'll get a deluge of content. Creating content has some, is suddenly super simple. And I'm not saying that people should you know, generate their content with these models because I don't think that that's necessarily a good idea yet um, because of the hallucination problems. But people will do that. And there will be a lot of bad content on the web suddenly. And I think that's one of the things that Google is really worried about as well. It's not just like, how do we compete with Bing and, and make sure that we have the same interface and the same functionality, but also how do we keep ranking stuff on the web when it's all suddenly so bad and there's suddenly so much more of it? And also, how do we train our models on content that is truly unique and that is not generated by a model itself, because then you get like, yeah, you're basically regurgitating garbage. 500 server error in finite loop. Yeah, yeah, it is. It really becomes a problematic thing. So um, I think the state of search was very much stable for quite a while. And this will actually upset it quite a bit more than... Uh, uh, than it has been in, in, the, in the last few well, decades, I'd almost say, because it really is a step change in how quickly people are able to make content and thus create a lot of it. And that means that they have to adjust their models. They might also have to adjust, like, can they store everything? Isn't that too much anymore at some point? Can they crawl everything, which is a topic that's close to my heart as well, because the way that they crawl the web is totally un unsustainable in, in, in a way. Um, and then there's the cost factor to it, because running a large language model is a costly business. It means continuously training these large language models. And that training is super intensive. It's intensive enough that in a recent Washington Post interview, I, I'll drop you a link for the show notes. Um, the, uh, the CEO of Google said, was talking about the cost impact of um, calculating these models. This is 
a company that did $192 billion in revenue last year that is seriously thinking about the cost impact of running these models. And I I think that has to give you pause. Like if they're thinking about that, what, what is that? Why is that so huge? And turns out that by some estimates, it's about 10 times more expensive to run a search on AI than it is on their traditional uh, methods. So suddenly their costs 10x. And, and that's is, a problem. And is more Moore's law, um, is it, uh, will that easily change over time? Uh, I think that'll come down a lot quickly. I hope so, because otherwise this is entirely unsustainable. They're literally using entire data centers for months now to calculate some of the models that they're using. And so, uh, it, and and basically that that uh, model, the way it works, it it gets trained, and it's still from the moment it started training. Yeah. So if they take three months to train it, it's already three months out of date by the time it's finished, and. Well, that they'll have to become better at, yeah. Uh, but because it means that they constantly have to start training new models. Otherwise, uh, but I do think that that will come down quickly. You're already seeing some adaptations where you can run relatively simple AI versions on a laptop, which has, which means that, well, if that happens, it'll the cost will come down. But for now, it is truly a, a ridiculous cost. And with that cost, there. That means that's so it's exclusively available training models like that to people who can finance that. Yeah, yeah, I, that I, can finance that. Yeah, it it is a well, it's an expensive business. I will Which, say that OpenAI has actually done quite a bit of good work in opening this up, and OpenAI has a couple of methods. Um, specifically a, a technique called embeddings, where it allows you to um, put a, a blob of content, like say a thousand web pages from your own site yeah. in, into OpenAI and say, okay, you can only answer with content from this embedding. And with that, you can do absolutely awesome things. So then you can suddenly start building your own AI on stuff that you trust. And then these models become super powerful and and I think will actually have a very, very big change on stuff that we do. Imagine saying you're a law firm and you have thousands of contracts that you've put out over the last decade. You throw all that into your own large language model and you start using that to generate your contracts. That is super powerful and will save you incredible amounts of time. So um, a friend of mine said, uh, when you had the steam engine, it was 100 horses. OpenAI is 100 interns. And you still have to check like what is that, what is coming out of that. And you have to uh, uh, do a manual review, but it'll save so much time. And it, it I really think it'll make people that use it effectively, super productive. And I think society as a whole needs to get ready for that because if developers suddenly become 30, 40, 50% more productive, we suddenly have more developers building different things, which means 
faster automation, yeah. which means a whole lot of other things suddenly become automated. And then other people start using these models too. So lawyers and other people become more effective and faster at what they do. I don't know that we're ready for that. And just on a personal level, imagine uh, over the last decade, what should we have written 50,000, 50, 100,000 emails, putting that in that model with all the proposals I ever wrote, with all the whatever, with all the deals we ever closed. Um, yeah. Would you? That, that would be mind blowing if you have an autocomplete on just your own synthesis or just I, your own. I think you will get there fairly quickly because that is actually relatively cheap to do because that it it's a lot of content for you, but it's not necessarily a lot of content for a model. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things I've been doing, so I a tool that I really like called docspot.ai. Um, I've actually been feeding all my own bookmarks into that. So... Uh, I just give it like it, it does these open AI embeddings. So yeah. it, I, I give it all my bookmarks and I make it just answer from my bookmarks. And, and at that point, I have an AI that is tailored to me, that is basically me in, in a way and my knowledge, but yeah. that I can question. And, and that's super powerful. The open AI embeds, would you trust them with all your emails? Uh, your bookmarks is thing no. number one, but no, I wouldn't do that yet. No. So uh, this is where it becomes like the, there's two discussions there that I really, really think politicians need to get in on very quickly. Yeah. Um, one is the privacy aspect of this, like where am I storing that data? Are you storing that data that you're embedding into uh, into the model? Yeah. And um, and how are you using that? How are you, you using my data? Are you using my data just for me or are you using my data to drain your wider model as well? And, and am I okay with you doing that? Um, that's something that we need to figure out that on that basis, ChatGPT has already been banned in Italy because, well, nobody knows. Yeah. Um, is that good or bad in one sentence that they try to do it like that? I think it's good that they banned it. I don't think it's necessarily the right reason alone, but I think it's good that they, they at least are aware of like, oh, wait, we need to actually look at this. Um, and then there's the other problem. It's like, okay, so these large language models are trained on a base of content. And A, we don't know what that base of content is. We, we really don't know what, what they put into the model and we have a right to know because it really determines what the outcome of that thing is. But it's also, it's been trained on a lot of content that they don't necessarily own. So it, it comes back sometimes with things that, that can be pointed at like things that they that it shouldn't have access to or that it at least shouldn't allow other people access to in that way. So we've seen in the last few weeks, we've seen results that can only come from private GitHub repositories. We've seen results that can only come from news articles that are behind a paywall and that are uh, only allowed, that search engines are allowed access to because of their first click free. But yeah. so we've seen, we've seen these things where, where they are, definitely not allowed to use that content automatically for stuff like that. But in general, it's also like clearly used all of the Guardian's archives, for instance, to yeah. train their model. What did they pay the Guardian? Zero. Yeah. And is that smart? 
is that even for them, is that smart? I mean, they need to train their models on, on content that is good and unique. If they take away the business models of the people that they train, that they need to create content to train their models on, yeah. then they have a problem themselves. But we as society have an even bigger problem. And I fear that if, if politicians don't get involved in these discussions very quickly, that will actually have killed some of uh, some of these web publications. And the whole news even... industry and therefore maybe democracy as a whole to make yeah. it fatalistic. Yeah, well, it, yeah. I So I'm I'm pretty optimistic about how this can be useful and how this can really help us. I'm I'm slightly pessimistic about how quickly politicians will start getting this, and I hope that they prove me wrong. And are we are both Europeans? We both live in the Netherlands. Um, Europe, the inventor of GDPR, <laughs> the execution was terrible, but the intention we both love the intention of GDPR, building yeah. a better better privacy rights, better data rights for uh, citizens of Europe and then the world. Is it, um, are policymakers the one we should rely on for fixing the problems that are forming right now? Well, I, I think we've proven time and again as a tech industry that it's not really, we're not necessarily the best industry for this stuff. So, and while I would want us to do better things as an industry, I don't think we do. Uh, so, yeah, I do think that it needs regulation and it needs it fast. So I, I want to cycle back a, a bit to the AI thing because you made a few things so practical. And a lot of people are good and say, hey, the future with AI, we can do this and that. And But you are good in explaining how it works, how the model works, like predicting the most socially be, uh, accepted next word, stuff like that. Um, Bing chat, for example, does it really give the sources where it gets the information from? Yeah, it does. Um, it has actually, so it's, the thing is, I've never seen the speed at which this is iterating like, like it has been in the last few weeks. Yeah. So when Bing chat first came out, I asked it to write a wiki page about me, not necessarily because I think that that's a very interesting thing, but because I'm very good at discovering whether there's untruths in that. <laughs> and that's because it's about me and I know myself quite well. Um, so I had to generate that and it said that I was an investor in a company that is actually Yoast SEO's biggest competitor, which I'm of course not. A, an investor in. Um, it had some other like completely fake things in there. Since then, they've um, added a slider in the Bing chat interface that actually allows you to say more creative or more truthful. And when you set it to more truthful, it really doesn't generate all that much untruths anymore. OpenAI has been iterating on this as well. They don't want to output those falsities. I All of them realize that that is problematic to say the least um but it it literally generates urls sometimes when you ask a, a chat gpt for what's the source of that it'll generate a, a url on the guardian this has truly happened where it generated a url that had never existed wow. but it looked like a guardian url and 
it could have existed. And people emailed The Guardian about, hey, we can't find this article. And and the editor of The Guardian was complaining about this uh, uh, publicly. Like, hey, we're getting these emails about articles that have never existed. Checking your sources now means that those articles reference actually exist. Um, but this is the, the level to which these AIs come up with facts that aren't facts. And I think that's deeply problematic. And, and that is something that we can't really fix because it's how transformer models work, which is what all these things are based on. A slight historic note there with chat GPT is based on transformer models, which were created at Google and then open sourced. Um, so th there's, there is a lot of like funny episodes and, and sidelines to this, but I think there's, um, yeah, there's a problem there that won't go away easily. And it's not a thing that's easily solved in the current iteration of that tech. And, uh, but the the thing with the sources that they can generate, there is an option where they have the right sources as well. Or is that... Yeah, no, so Bing Chat... Reverse engineering. No, no, Bing, so Bing Chat really gives you links back to sources, but they are like literally references as you would do in a scientific document where, yeah. where it gives like a one, two, three, four, and then at the bottom it lists those sources and you can click yeah. on them. So it'll generate a lot less traffic to websites. So yeah. in that regard, it's already like a huge change for SEO in terms of how much traffic we actually get from these because a lot of the answers that people are seeking will be will be given to them right there in the search results. Yeah, And the fact that you're presented as an answer there might be good for you. But for a lot of sites, that means that their advertising model, if that's how they make money, disappears. Yeah. So that's not good. No. <laughs> um, now, I'm personally not the biggest fan of advertising-based models at all, because I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to fund things that we really need to, to keep our democracy alive, like good journalism. Um, but it is what the current model is. We have nothing else. It, we've tried a lot of other things and some of us are good citizens of the world and we pay for our newspapers and we, and we actually try to fund some of this, this journalism, but, um, not enough people do to, to keep that in sustain in a sustainable way. So we need the ad based model to work for now. Um, yeah. I think that's not going to be a, a simple thing to uh, to solve quickly. It's it's going to take time. But the example that Bing Chat sets with you could almost say the provenance of where the information is coming from. That's a very different story than the mystical uh, realm around AI. It's a black box. <laughs> Suddenly, there's an answer. We can't do anything. Sorry, policymakers. That's never true, right? If so, it, it, it when it's they say it's a black box, that's an escape that we should not allow them to have. And um, I, machine learning is nice. It it really can help you create, uh, create models and create things that can answer questions for us. But that doesn't mean that we don't have as well as humankind, the responsibility to know what it's doing. 
So if you're using machine learning, uh, and this is actually an, another Dutch company that I really like by uh, uh, run in part by my brother-in-law called Deploy. They, they have this whole system of making AI explainable or making machine learning explainable because this is literally what people need to do. If you get, if you apply for credit and your bank doesn't give you credit because their machine learning model told them to not give you credit, they need to be able to tell you why. The fact that they're not sometimes is literally inexcusable. The law already forbids it to them. They need to be able to do that. Yeah. And there are ways in which you can machine learn that and still know what the, why it did what it did. And at that point, you're really, you're learning, you're basically using these huge data sets to learn and you learn more efficiently, but you're still figuring out what you're learning instead of saying, yeah, the AI did this. Yeah, That's not a, a, an excuse that we should allow people to give. I fully agree, of course, but it's, it still happens a lot. It happens a lot. And I think lawmakers just need to be able to say convincingly to themselves as well, this is not okay. We need to know what the model did and why. And if the model has been built in such a way that it can't explain itself, well, then built it better. It's Amen. really as simple as that. Yeah. Thanks for putting, uh, giving so much color on the, the <laughs> many aspects of AI. If we go to search, search engine optimization, we identified some risks, but let's summarize a bit. What are the risks for the current game of search engine optimization with the state of AI today? So because there's, it's so easy to generate a whole lot of content that looks sort of reliable, it doesn't have to be, but it looks reliable. Suddenly it becomes way more important who authored that content and who, who literally attached their name to it. And also, because all of that content looks alike, um, it suddenly becomes very important who had it first, more than it did for quite a while. So this is actually where Workproof, uh, I, I hope, can play a role at some point and where we can prove, hey, hey this content was here first, and in, in a future iteration, I hope to also be able that we are going to be able to tie the author to it a bit more reliably yeah. because putting content out there that is written in the style of Joost the person, and then attaching my name and picture to it is going to be fairly simple. And that doesn't mean that I actually wrote it. So we need better ways of proving that I actually did write it. And that is something that... Well, we have to figure out systems for and we and we'll we better get to that a bit quicker than we've been doing that for a while. Um, but I think that search engines to some extent already do that quite well. They yeah. know authors, they have been doing this sort of author linking to uh, to content. And I think that they'll focus on that more and more and more. So these EEAT signals, expertise, experience, authority, trust, yeah. the types of signals that are simply literally putting an author on the page, showing who authored the content, yeah. showing when that content was authored, and then linking to the social um, uh, uh, 
profiles of that author so that they can the search engine can tie all of it together and then can check whether that author actually links back to that website and there's this whole thing that they need to check the credibility of that of that link but they can and they have been doing that for well over a decade but they've not done it as well it, it wasn't that much of a like first results thing that they needed to do it wasn't that important to them but it, it will be that important to them fairly quickly now because um that actually leads to them being able to say we trust this author we yeah. want to show these results in our search results yeah so there will be a bigger focus on EAT, and um, there's another uh, aspect to that. Google uh, rolled out a content called uh, an update called the Helpful Content Update earlier last year, and um, so people are already saying that we should actually call it Heat Heat H E E T because of course the content needs to be helpful as well. It needs to yeah. actually answer the question that the person that is searching for has. I don't think that's new. That's basically been SEO for forever. That's yeah. what you have been saying for over a decade. Yeah. Simply yeah. be the best result. Yeah, simply be the best result for the things that people are searching for. That is, yeah. I mean, it, it is not harder than that, but it's also yeah. not easier than that because that's actually hard. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that that thinking about it in that way, like, hey, it has to be helpful and we have to show why we we as a site or as an or I as an offer have the experience and the expertise and the authority to say something about this that other people should trust. Yeah, I think that that combination of things will become super important. Yeah, uh, I also think that that gives gives a chance like it gives a real fighting chance to newspapers and to uh, to good bloggers and to experts and to medical sites what you what you're already seeing these sites do uh, as a result of EAT is things like showing who wrote the article which which doctor checked it, who updated the article, who copy edited the article. You're seeing people show stuff like that on their web pages. And I love it. Yeah. It's the kind of transparency that really, really will improve how we built the web. And it's it's sort of like the missing layer of the web. It was yeah. always it was built on the assumption that we could trust everything that was put yeah. out there initially, because it was built to to just transfer documents between universities and, and and institutes like that on places communities where trust was part of the fabric of that community so yeah. the technology didn't need to solve that no and and now it does really need to solve that i mean and i think we need to get to a technical layer that is relatively simple to understand um but where we can where people can verify that people that they think wrote the article actually wrote the article or where we can verify that the person who checked the content was actually a medical doctor yeah if if it goes if we're talking about medical info google focuses on this a lot more in a couple of specific specific niches already what they call the your money your life yeah uh content because all the content in that type of area so medical but also uh, loans, credit cards, et cetera, is super vital that the results they give to people are truthful. Yeah. We, uh, well, as a, in SEO, one of the things that we have to tell people to do is like show why people should trust you. 
Yeah. Build that build that profile. Understand that the author is now and who the author is of a particular piece of content is now an important aspect of what that content is. And I hope that we'll get to technical solutions that allow us to prove that in, in a more, well, certain way than we can currently. Yeah. Um, but it's already like in SEO specifically right now, it's already important to really start doing that. And uh, so to summarize a bit, there's the risk of information overload. Uh, there's the risk of reliability. Then with the information overload comes how to rank and who owns what. <laughs> Um, yeah. And provenance, who is the center of information, is what we say at WordProof and Trusted Web or what we fight for is firstly an open source way to prove who publishes what, when. Uh, and secondly, making a relationship between the amount of accountability a sender takes and how far information could, uh, yeah, or the impact between identity connected to information, the sender, and uh, how high it ranks. So you, that you always have freedom of speech. You can publish every shit on the internet, but there must there must be a certain level of accountability before it can rank high. Yeah, uh, well, I, and, and at the same time, that brings problems too, right? For sure. Be because to a certain degree, anonymity is also a super important thing. And um, if you're in China or in Iran or even in the U.S., if you're if if you're saying the wrong things, um, you don't always want to attach your identity to a piece of content. And yeah. and for you to be forced into actually attaching your identity to a piece of content for it to rank, it's also a bit of a problem. So we need to figure out how to do that. Yeah, we need to really figure out like how. How do we still allow for that? And which methods can we come up with that allow for anonymity on stuff that needs anonymity? Um, in the blockchain space, there are things being developed right now. One of the things, uh, zero knowledge proof. So in my there's there's my identity in my wallet and in a liquor store, for example. I can say, uh, or the question is often, how old are you? And can you prove with your ID? But it's not their business what my age is. It's only their business, binary, if I'm old enough or not. Yeah. Zero knowledge proof is a technology for exactly this. So I can show only the relevant thing. Am I a doctor with a degree uh, that's recent and that's not being revoked, for example? So there are dots that need to be connected over the coming years. Yeah. Um, you're the third guest in this uh, season. The first one was uh, Scott Sternetta, the inventor of blockchain 30 years ago. So an open source technology to prove that you didn't tamper with information. The second one was uh, Andy Parsons from Adobe, and they run the, co the Content Authenticity Initiative. Um, for them, what the point they're making is really a manifest is for the web to move forward, provenance is super important. It's It's for monetization, it's for trust, it's for, I, it's largely a topic um, in the answers you are giving, uh, giving uh, the answers he gave, uh, that provenance and identity is the way forward. Um, maybe a weapon against AI, weapon is a too strong word there, but provenance is a really good way to, an important route forward uh, to handling the challenges we face with AI. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree. And um, I also don't want to be like known as the guy that's against AI. I think it, I think as I sh- said earlier, there's just huge chances in using AI properly and uh, and actually a huge things that we as, as humanity can do with that and, and move things forward with. Um, but yeah, provenance in search results and provenance in and search results is maybe not is it's too restricted of an area to talk about this everywhere where ais give results um we need to actually we as a society need to know why it gives those results and we need to be able to dig into that yeah and i think that that is uh um yeah, I, I I can't understate how how important that is, it, it or overstate or whatever. I don't even know the words anymore. Uh, <laughs> no, I it, it's really really important that as as a society we know what these models do and how they work, and that we and that we make them explainable and reliable. Period. <laughs> Period. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's so much uh, key key insights for policymakers here. We'll make sure to distribute them uh, there. Specifically on AI and misinformation, is there a role for AI in fighting misinformation or disinformation? Well, maybe if it can recognize it reliably. Um, I I think to some extent. Uh, search engines will always use machine learning models to to try and determine um, uh, the authenticity of content and and whether they can rank it or not. It's not like humans are ever going to be um, creating search results. So uh, yes, there is also a, a a place for those models to actually help fight that same misinformation that is caused by similar models. Yeah. And the hard thing is, uh, we don't trust people to judge if this information is real or not. No, I, I think the, the hardest part about this is that if you generate a piece of text with an, with an AI um, and you check 10 facts in there, the thing that you don't check because it looks so incredibly reliable might be, might be wrong and you publishing it might actually make, make it worse. So that's where it's problematic. Could imagine. Lastly, taking action as a publisher or as an e-commerce business or as a government publishing information, what actions should I take? Should I allow and what actions should I take firstly? And secondly, more specifically, do I want my content to be in the AI models or not? So what actions should you take? Well, there's not a whole lot you can do. You can start timestamping your content with WordProof, and you should. Um, this is the investor in me speaking. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and I think that might actually be helpful uh, in the long run if you start doing it now. It's the, the sooner you start, the better. Um, but there's not a whole lot more you can do right now. We don't really have standards yet for any of this. And well, they are being developed as we speak. This is going incredibly fast. Like literally there's news every day. Um, so that'll change soon. Um, right now, you can't do much. Do we? Do you want your content to be in those large language models? Maybe yes, maybe no. Depends a bit on what you do, where you are, et cetera. 
but it also depends on the model. In some models, you might be delighted to be in there. If they're used to, say you're a uh, a publisher of a very specific piece of information and, and someone is building a model for your industry and is doing that in a way where it, it gives uh, links to the source every time, then of course you want to be in that model because it's good for you. Um, but this becomes a licensing question really quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And for the ChatGPT model, it is possible to reverse engineer the links or the sources. That's what we learned in this conference. Yeah, it, it, to some degree, it's hard, but, it, yeah. but but you can sometimes see that it gives results that are, um, well, too similar to stuff that, that, it, that can only be found in specific repositories of information. Yeah. Uh, so, like the watermark in Getty Images images. <laughs> like the watermark in Getty Images images that is showing up in, I think that was Midjourney. But it, but yeah, it, it happens in all these models. Yeah. Joost, thanks so much for giving so much color to uh, everything AI and search engine optimization and provenance as a way forward. Um, are there things that we missed in the conversation that need to be added? No, I don't think so. I do think that it's important for everyone to go play with these AI models and to see for themselves what it really is. Thanks so much. Uh, that is, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me. It was uh, really fun to talk about all this. Yeah, wonderful. And uh, I can't, can't wait to follow up in a year or so to see uh, how the first uh, things unravel. Or I'm, I'm always here for that, as you know. <laughs> Perfect. Hey, talk soon. Hope you enjoyed it as well. If you go to thetrustedweb.org podcast, you'll find the other episodes, you find educational materials, you find other use cases, all on building a trusted web. It's all available there and of course for free. thetrustedweb.org podcast. Thank you again for listening and therefore being part of the trusted web journey. And let's build the trusted web together. <laughs>